Our passage today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 16 to uh, chapter 12, verse 10. It's on page 1,164 uh, 1, if you're using one of the church Bibles at the back. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I might do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been in con I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and the Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Dam Damascans guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, my, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong.
Thanks, Victoria. Uh, it says on the uh, slide that we're reading through to chapter 21. I'm not sure if that's a mistake or if that's a joke. Uh, Peter, Peter who does the slides could well have done that on purpose. Uh, look, before we begin the sermon, uh, some of you weren't here yesterday afternoon when we had the afternoon tea, so I thought I'd just take uh, another opportunity uh, to say that it's been a great privilege to be uh, here among you for 11 years and to serve among you and to bring God's word to you and um, uh, to be loved uh, by you as well uh, over those years. Uh, thank you for your forgiveness of my many failings and limitations and mistakes, and thank you for your encouragement and support. And I really do pray, pray that the Lord will continue to bless you uh, here and this church here in the years uh, ahead. So thank you very much. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a wonderful and a powerful God, more powerful than we can possibly imagine. And we ask, Lord, that you would remind us again this morning of that power and of your great desire, Lord, to demonstrate your power through your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. Well, uh, this past week, I had the privilege of uh, travelling to the Gold Coast. Uh, I'd never been to the Gold Coast before. It's not normally the place that you go to, but I went for a pastor's conference. It's certainly not the place that you normally go to for a pastor's conference. Uh, but after a couple of really difficult years of COVID, uh, lots of ministers are, are tired. And so the FIC, the, the, uh, the group of churches that we belong to, the Fellowship of independent evangelical churches, they decided to gather all the senior pastors together uh, and to just have a really lovely time together under the word, uh, fellowshipping together. But as we sat there and we enjoyed the wonderful climate, certainly warmer there than it is today, uh, we also heard a number of interviews uh, about some of our brothers, some of the senior pastors in our sister churches, and some of the challenges, the enormous challenges that those people are facing at the moment. Uh, one of the pastors in our network has been diagnosed with brain cancer. Uh, another one spoke about his son, who has been battling a very aggressive form of cancer that led to the amputation of uh, the lower part of one of his legs. They'd hoped that that would stop the spread, but it's now appeared in his lungs, and the prognosis is not especially good. Uh, and there were others too who were not interviewed, other pastors uh, who have children dealing with things like chronic fatigue, others are dealing with significant issues in their churches. Many are simply exhausted from two years of leading a church through COVID and the changes and even some of the divisions that have happened through that. Now, these are men who have devoted themselves to the service of the gospel, humble servants of God, but one of the things that struck me again and again as I spoke with them, as we heard them interviewed, is just how weak uh, many of them were. And what's true of them as pastors is true of us all as Christians and as human beings. All of us are weak, all of us are limited. We're limited by our abilities, we're limited by our time, by our circumstances. We're limited by the people around us. We're limited by virtue of our createdness. You know, we can only be in one place at the one time. 
We can't do everything and even what we can do, we can't do perfectly. We want to be strong and we want to be able to do everything that we set our minds to do, but we just can't do it. And so one of the most important lessons that we can learn as Christians, and indeed one of the most important lessons that we can learn even just as human beings, is the lesson about our weakness, but about God's great power. And that, more than anything else, is the message that I want to leave with you as uh, I finish here the ministry at the branch. So what does 2 Corinthians teach us? What do these chapters teach us about limitations and weakness? Well, in the passage that Victoria read for us, Paul is being open and honest about his particular limitations and struggles. The situation that he's facing, the situation in the church in Corinth, is that they have been influenced by so-called super-apostles. That's not apostles who wear their undies on the outside of their pants. Uh, they are apostles who think that their amazing, wonderful ministry is genuine and authentic, while Paul's ministry is actually not authentic. Uh, Paul's ministry is weak and their ministry is strong and powerful. And for the super apostles, that's the stamp of their legitimacy. But Paul, in this section, is actually working hard to show that it's the opposite that's the case. That actually it's the weakness of his ministry that is the mark of its authenticity. Paul uh, has been speaking to the Corinthians all through this book about his limitations, and he repeats that here. Much like us, the Corinthians were inclined to see success and power as signs of authentic gospel ministry. But Paul says that actually weakness and suffering are the hallmarks to look for. Now, that shouldn't come as a surprise to us because at the centre of the Christian faith is one of the greatest acts of weakness in the world, that is, God crucified by human beings. At the, uh, the greatest moment in history, the greatest moment in the Christian faith is also the moment of the greatest weakness, the greatest suffering. And so we ought to expect that authentic gospel ministry will have the stamp of that cross and resurrection shape on it. The Saviour that we follow was, has been crucified and has uh, been raised to life again. And so too, those who follow him and those who serve him will follow in the same pattern. And so to make that point more clearly, Paul begins to boast in all the catastrophes and the challenges that have attended his ministry. Look at some of the things he talks about. He mentions the heavy workload, the frequent imprisonments, the floggings, the near-death experiences, the beatings, the stoning, the shipwrecks, being constantly on the move, facing dangerous weather conditions, bandits, false believers. He says he's had to work so hard that he's gone without sleep, he's gone hungry, he's even been forced to go about naked because of his lack. Now, many of those things, it's important to realise, are external factors. They're things that have been imposed on him from the outside. And what those things do in particular, the weakness that they demonstrate in particular, is Paul's weakness in controlling the circumstances of his ministry and the circumstances of his life. As human beings, our single most profound limitation is that we can't make this or that happen. 
We like to think that we can, but we can't. Many of us probably had great plans for 2020 and 2021, uh, but all of that went out the window when COVID came. All our plans went out the, world, uh, went out the window. Actually, in 2019, uh, that was the first year that as a staff team, we got together. We got together in September, I think it was, to plan out 2020. We'd never done, we'd never planned out a whole year before in the history of the church. And we got a big wall planner and we sat down for two hours. We planned, we wrote it on the wall planner, we hung it up in the office. And as a portent of things to come, the wall planner fell off the wall <laughs> in mid to late January. It never, it never even made it back up onto the wall. We can plan, can't we? We can plan our week, our month, but all kinds of things can happen that, that mean that we never can fulfil our plans. Despite all the energy, all the effort, all the money, whatever it is that we put into it, we can't control it. Paul mentions too his worry for the churches. Uh, he talks about Anxiety, this kind of daily anxiety for those he ministers amongst. Paul didn't have just one church that he was responsible for, but many churches. Uh, and that kind of worry and anxiety can be quite crippling. A friend of mine once told me that uh, he was a pastor. He once told me that as a pastor, he lived every day with the expectation that the church would collapse, that today would would herald the moment of a great schism in the church that would divide the church and, uh, and the church would disintegrate around him. Now, that's probably not your worry, but I suspect that many of us face worries like that day in, day out. There are things that we catastrophize, that we think, oh, the sky is going to fall in today, and we, we panic about that. Now, that kind of Catastrophizing worry is a sin and we need to confess that. We, it's unbelieving. We need to trust that God is in control and trust that God can help us through it. But, but there is a kind of worry that is also, or a concern, that's legitimate. Concern about people who've wandered away from the faith. Concern about your children, where they're at with God. Concern about your friends, where they stand with God. Concern about ongoing unrepentant sin in the life of someone that you love. And even though those worries and those concerns are legitimate, they can still be very draining. They can still make us feel very weak. Weak not least because, again, we can't control the outcomes of those concerns and worries. And as well as all those weaknesses, Paul also mentions earlier in his letter in chapter 10, he mentions that people accuse him or criticise him for having a weak personal presence or that his speech is not particularly great. It seems that maybe he wasn't a, a trained speaker. So too in the chapter that we read in chapter 12, he talks about his thorn in the flesh. This is a very particular weakness and limitation that he had that God had given him on purpose. Now we don't know what that limitation was, but whatever it was, it seems to have been uh, very draining and very demanding for him. People suggest all kinds of things, his eyesight, his speech, a particular illness. Maybe it was a person in the church who made his life difficult. But whatever it was, uh, Paul had asked God to take it away and God didn't take it away. But the, 
To make a long story short, the point is that Paul had, as well as his thorn in the flesh, he had all these other kinds of limitations as well. And even if we don't know exactly what the thorn was, if we just look at the list of things that he does mention, it's more than enough to kind of overwhelm us uh, with the kinds of challenges that this man faced. If Paul was to submit an application for the position of senior pastor at the branch, I'm not sure if he has, uh, but if he was to submit an application for that position of senior pastor, it's unlikely uh, that we would employ him. Uh, if these were the kinds of things that he listed on his resume, more frequently imprisoned, well, that certainly wouldn't be high up on the list uh, of things that we'd be asking for. And if we had somebody working away in a ministry in our church, whether a youth leader or a, or a uh, children's ministry worker, if if they were kind of experiencing these kinds of difficulties, we'd probably be encouraging them to step down or to take a break. But for Paul, these weaknesses and these challenges were part of his qualification for ministry. And so as human beings, as the people of God, we need to be aware of and we need to accept as well the limitations and the weakness of our human condition. We have limitations of time and energy. We can't fit into a single day or a single hour all the things that we need to do. Uh, there are limitations in terms of energy. You might have the time, but maybe you just, you just can't work that hard for that long. You look around at the people next to you and they seem to be able to work 15-hour days, and, and you're lucky if you can get through five before you start falling asleep. Maybe you have a kind of physical weakness. Maybe you have a bad back. You can't sit for more than half an hour at a time. Maybe you have a mental illness. You struggle with anxiety or depression, and maybe that limits what you can do. Maybe you look longingly then at the people around you, and you think, if only I was like that, if only I could do more. Maybe there are some skill limitations that you struggle with. I know this is not the worst limitation in the world, but I have always been enormously frustrated by the fact that I'm not a quick reader. There are these people, I sent a book to somebody recently, 60,000 word book. They sent it back to me in two days with their comments on it. Maybe you're not good at public speaking. Or maybe you're an introvert and people tire you out. Or maybe you're an extrovert and not being with people tires you out. There are also limitations of others that we face. The limitations of our church. There will be things that our church can't do, that other churches can do. Uh, maybe one day we can't run a children's ministry or a youth ministry. Maybe we'll go through a period where we don't have any musicians or the musicians that we do have are not particularly good. There are limitations of family and friends. You might not be sick, you might not be weak, but maybe someone in your family is. Maybe one of your children is, maybe your spouse is, maybe one of your parents is. And that has an impact. That's a limitation, it's a weakness. Those limitations and weaknesses are not disqualifications, God wants us to know. They're not disqualifications from serving God and others. Rather, they're part and parcel of uh, ministry as limited human beings who are not God. And so we need to be able to accept our weakness. 
So Paul shows that he was weak and that didn't disqualify him from ministry. Uh, and we're weak and that doesn't disqualify us from ministry. But why is that? Why doesn't that disqualify us? Why doesn't our weakness disqualify us from service to God? Well, the answer to that question comes uh, uh, when God answers Paul's question or answers Paul's request for the thorn in his flesh to be taken away. So at the beginning of chapter 12, Paul recounts an extraordinary experience that he had 14 years before writing this letter. He says it's a man, another man, but it's clear as the passage goes on that it's him uh, because he he says uh, later on that uh, if he was to boast in those things, he would be telling the truth. Uh, But somehow or other, he says he was caught up to what he calls the third heaven. He doesn't know how that happened, whether it's in the body or out of the body. He's not really sure what happened uh, or how it happened. He just knows that he saw paradise, that he saw the glory of God. He talks about it as the third heaven. And that's probably because in the the Hebrew Bible, uh, there's three ways of, or there's three ways that the word heaven is used. The first is with respect to where the birds fly. The birds fly in the heavens and then the stars are in the other heavens and then God is in the highest heavens. So the third heaven is the one where God is. But Paul, for some reason, is caught up there and he has this extraordinary experience of seeing God. But the consequence of that is that God has given him this thorn in the flesh Now, I don't know if you've ever been gardening and you've got a thorn in the flesh. I've taken up gardening, as you know, in recent years. But I think thorns in the flesh are possibly one of the most debilitating and humiliating experiences of life. Debilitating because they really do just get in the way of of doing almost anything, if it's in the end of your finger or something like that. And humiliating because it's really the tiniest thing in the world, but it stops you from doing so many things. Uh, And no matter what you do, it just kind of grates away at you, it gnaws away at you. Even after you think you've got it out, it's still just kind of, it's like phantom thorns or something like that. I don't know if that's a real medical condition. And Paul says that's what this weakness was like for him. It was this constant challenge, this gnawing away, debilitating, perhaps humiliating. It was a weakness that stopped him from doing things that stopped him as well from becoming proud. And that's the purpose, indeed, that God says he's given it to Paul, to keep him from being conceited because of these great revelations. You can imagine, can't you, that if you'd seen those great things, it would be so easy to become puffed up with pride. But God gives Paul this weakness, this thorn in the flesh, so that he can't become proud. Three times he he asks God to take it away, and God doesn't. In other words, there was a great purpose to this weakness in Paul's life. And it's often the case in our lives as well. In fact, it's always the case in our lives that whatever the weakness or the limitations that we face, there's always a purpose from God. We can ask God to take them away. We can ask God to get rid of them. And sometimes he might, but sometimes he doesn't as well. And that's always within God's plan and purpose. A friend of mine uh, became crippled. He was in ministry in the 1990s, in the early 90s. He became crippled by severe depression. He's a pastor of a church. Uh, He was so completely broken by it uh, that he wanted to take his own life. Until that point, he'd been working very successfully in ministry. 
Uh, But all of a sudden, his life fell apart. And indeed, since that time, he's suffered with depression of one form or another since the early 1990s, and he's prayed that God would take it away, but God has chosen not to take that away. And yet, nevertheless, through that ministry, through those uh, 30 years of ministry, God has continued to bless him and bless others through him. Now, you might ask God to take away whatever weakness you have, and maybe God will do that, but maybe he won't. And that can be really hard to accept, can't it? You think, oh, goodness me, I'd be so useful if I didn't have this or that weakness. But listen to God's answer to Paul in chapter 12, verse 9. This is what he says, In the face of weakness, my grace is sufficient for you. God's grace was enough. Paul thought that the weakness needed to go away so that he could be useful to God, but God says, no, it's enough. What Paul needed to realise was that God's power was greater than his weakness. And often we need to learn that same lesson. We think that our weakness needs to go away, but we need to learn that God's weakness is enough. Whatever your weakness is, the one that frustrates you most of all, or even the other ones that don't frustrate you most of all, but are just there gnawing away at you day by day, God's grace is sufficient. Maybe you're more limited in what you can do than those around you. Maybe you look at other parents and you see all that they're doing to disciple their children and you think, wow, I should be doing that too. But you just don't have the energy. God's grace is sufficient in whatever you can do. Do you wish that you could do more, but you can't because of your dodgy back or because of mental health struggles? That's okay. God's grace is sufficient. Maybe one of your kids has really significant needs. And it takes a huge amount of time and a huge amount of emotional energy to care for them. God says, that's okay. His grace is sufficient. You and I, we don't need to be more capable. We just need to be who we are, who God has made us with all our limitations and our weaknesses. And we just need God to be God. We just need to keep coming to God and saying, Lord, I'm so weak today, but you're so strong. So Paul was weak, but that didn't disqualify him. We're weak. That doesn't disqualify us because God's grace is sufficient. But finally, Paul goes a step further. Not only is God's grace sufficient, Paul doesn't just accept that weakness is there as part of his life, but he also goes so far, he goes a step further, he goes so far as to boast in his weakness. Look at what he says in verse 9 of chapter 12. He says, But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. So not only is God's grace sufficient, but God's power is made perfect in weakness, That is, weakness is the way, it's the means that God uses to do his powerful work. He uses weakness because it displays his power. We often think that God needs us to be strong and capable and energetic and efficient, but God actually only needs us to be weak, which is just as well. It's kind of lucky because that's what we are. And so because God's plan is to use our weakness... Because that's the place that God works 
through us, Paul determines that he's going to boast and delight in and celebrate the weaknesses that he has so that God's power may rest on him. He doesn't just grit his teeth and bear it and say, oh gosh, if only this, if only that. He actually boasts in his weakness and delights in it so that God's power would rest on him. He says in verse 10, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I wonder how you deal with your weakness. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I don't delight in weakness. I get frustrated by it. Can't read quickly. Ah, I wish I could read quickly. Don't have the energy for that today. Oh, I wish I could do that. Kids in the playground don't compete over who's the most stupid or who's the weakest. Well, they didn't when I was at school, and I suspect it hasn't changed now. What is it that you boast in? You might boast in your achievements, your successes, your gifts. Maybe you're not so shameful to do that in person, but the online world opens up great possibilities for us to boast about those things without being ashamed. Social media invites us to show the world our awesomeness. Maybe you don't boast, but you boast silently. That is, you never say anything out loud, but you think to yourself, well, I'm actually so much better than that. Or maybe you don't need to boast because you've developed the, hacky, the happy knack of uh, just milking compliments from people. You don't need to boast because people are doing it for you. We like to talk about our achievements. We like to talk about our achievements as individuals and as churches. But Paul talks about his weaknesses. We endure weakness, but Paul boasts in it. Well, Paul had learned that hard lesson. He may have asked at first for God to take away his weakness, but when God hadn't, he learnt this harder lesson, this better lesson, not only to survive weakness, but to boast in it, to delight in it. And that's important because uh, it's not simply that weakness is not an obstacle to God's strength. We might think, well... I'm weak, but that's okay. God can overcome that. Paul goes a step further than that in saying weakness is actually the place where God's power is made perfect. So we might think of the cross. It wasn't merely that Jesus overcame the weakness of crucifixion. It wasn't just that Jesus overcame the weakness of death. But it was through that weakness. It was through the cross. It was through death that God did his great and powerful work. The most supreme act of God's power in the history of the world was not in spite of weakness, but because of it. So what's your biggest weakness? What's your biggest limitation? What weaknesses frustrate you? Maybe you've asked God to take them away, and maybe he has taken some of them away. Maybe he hasn't. But maybe you need to start thanking God for them as well. Not thanking them for what they are in and of themselves, 
but thanking God for what he's doing through them. That through them, he's showing his power is sufficient and that his power is made perfect in weakness. We resent weakness. We try and stamp it out of our lives. But the remedy to surviving weakness is not to reject it, but to actually positively embrace it as part of God's plan. God's answer to our weakness is that his power is made perfect in it. We're all limited. We're all limited in different ways. That's not a bad thing because God's power is at work in us in those weaknesses. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we we come to you as weak people, uh, weak in every sense, Lord, weak in our incapacity, uh, weak in our lack of energy, weak in our lack of time, weak in our lack of resources, weak in our lack of emotional energy, weak in our motivation. But Lord, we come to you because you're a gracious and loving Father who forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases and who in our weakness is able to use us for your glory. Lord, we pray for each one of us, wherever we are and whatever limitations we have and for whatever reasons. Lord, we pray that you would draw near to each one, that we would know your grace and mercy and compassion. Lord, for those who are frustrated by limitations, help them to trust you. For those who are struggling to get up in the morning, to make it through the day, help them to know that your grace is sufficient. For those who are bearing the burdens of the weakness of others, in their family or in their workplace, Lord, give them the grace. Help them to know that your power is made perfect in weakness. And Lord, help this church not to boast in successes, but to boast in weakness, so that your power may be displayed. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.